All hail the glow cloud. If you don't know what that means, then you must come to the Bell House for a live taping of Ask Me Another on January 6th with the citizens of Welcome to Night Vale. Go to amatickets.org. From NPR and WNYC, this is Ask Me Another. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, your host, and over the next hour, we are going to try to stump you. That's right, listener. Smarty pants, I'm talking to you. Get ready to use more than 10% of your brain, because this is our really hard edition. Joining me in the studio is our occasional puzzle guru and puzzle editor, Art Chung. Hey, Afira. Hey, Art. Now, I know I work with you, but I actually don't know the answer to this. What do you do exactly <laughs> what do as I a do? puzzle editor? Well, what I do is I lead a team of writers who pitch every game that's on the show, and we come up with games that are accessible but challenging. And it's my job to make sure that the questions aren't too hard, aren't too easy, uh, and are really fun. And how many games have we played so far? We've played over 200 almost, yeah. And some of them have been very challenging, like this first game called the Philosopher's Comedy Club, which, you know, sounds hard. Right. Originally, when it was pitched, it was pitched as a superheroes comedy club, but we thought that was maybe a little too niche for our audience. So we Not everyone's my husband? Is that what you're trying to say? Not everyone knows the difference between Plastic Man and Elongated Man. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to make it about philosophers, and it turns out we just exchanged a lowbrow difficult game for a highbrow difficult game. Right. You made it even harder. Even harder. <laughs> so what we did is we took you know, ideology, reason, rationality, and imagine them as stand-up comedy acts. Our puzzle guru, John Chinesky, led this game, The Philosopher's Comedy Club. Here are our next two contestants, Stan Lee and Charlie Esser, are settling in behind their puzzle podiums. Charlie, Mm -hmm. have you ever taken any philosophy? Uh, no. (laughs) None at all? (laughs) Not really, no. No, none at all. I read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. (laughs) There you go. And you are joined by Stan Lee, who I just have Hi. to point out, welcome, Stan Lee, is not the co-creator of Spider-Man. He is a much more important person. Actually, that's my secret identity. <laughs> How about you? Any philosophy uh, in your background? Uh, my academic advisor advised me to take intro and call her in the morning, and I majored in it for undergrad. Our next game is called The Philosopher's Comedy Club. And as a stand-up comic myself, just imagining this place sends chills down my spine. I can't imagine. I guess you'd find out what the sound of one hand clapping feels like. And the heckling would be out of control. Not enlightening enough. (laughs) An unexamined joke is not worth telling. I think, therefore, you suck. (laughs) Tell me it's not going to be like that, John. No, it's going to be a little worse, actually. (laughs) Philosophers get a bad rap for being a bit boring, serious people, but uh, in this game we find out that many of them were originally stand-up comedians. It's true, it was Jean-Paul Sartre who said, I just flew in from hell, and boy am I tired of other people. (laughs) So contestants, you have to identify the philosophers who just might have told the following hacky jokes. And please, try the veal. Here we go. A lawyer, a plumber, and a used car salesman all die in a plane crash and find themselves at the pearly gates. Except they don't, because God is dead. Stan. Nietzsche. Nietzsche is right. Very good. Did you ever notice how the end justifies the means? What's the deal with that? Charlie. Emmanuel Kant? Not Kant, no. No. Stan. Niccolo Machiavelli. Machiavelli's right, yes, way to go, good steal. Take my wife, or at least the shadow of her that appears on the cave wall to which I spend my life chained. 
please. Charlie. Plato. Plato is right. <laughs> what you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. In bed. <laughs> Stan. Uh, that was uh, the Tao Te Ching. Um, Lao Tzu. Not Lao Tzu, no. Charlie, for the steal? That would be Hillel. No, not Hillel. Any, anybody here? Anybody else know it? Confucius. Yes, Confucius. Confucius. Give that lady one point. Very good. How many philosophers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Only one. If he acts according to the maxim whereby he can, at the same time, will that it should become a universal law. Besides, it doesn't matter because the light bulb is in itself unknowable. Charlie? Bacon? Not bacon. Stan? Either Immanuel Kant or Ludwig Wittgenstein. Oh, Pick I, one. I like that idea, The right though. one. <laughs> Sorry. Flip uh, a coin if you Kant, have to. Kant. Kant is right. Guy walks into a bar, and the bartender says, what can I get you? The guy says, nothing. He who is attached to things will suffer much, according to the Tao. Stan? Uh, Lao Tzu. That's Lao Tzu. There Very good. Go. Okay, get ready. So a guy goes to a talent agent and says, have I got an act for you? <laughs> it's a family, and the dad realizes that achievement of his own happiness is the only moral purpose of life. And the mom, she rejects ethical altruism. And the son knows that government help is just as dangerous as government persecution. And the agent says, I love it. What's the act called? And the guy says, the objectivists. Stan? Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand is right. Stan, congratulations. You have won this philosophical round. Now, maybe you are the kind of person that knows all the names of all the presidents, and you also know how to recite them in chronological order, in which case, good for you. Well done. I like that. But on Ask Me Another, we take it a step further. That's right. Sometimes we'll ask you what their middle names are, and then we'll ask you to mash them up with the name of another celebrity. Which is very difficult. It's hard to keep two th ideas in your head at the same time, which is why these mashup games are so hard. But, for example, we could say, combine Chester Allen Arthur with the star of MASH, Alan Alda, and you'll get Chester Alan Alda Arthur. That's challenging. That is the uh, definition of challenging, I would say. It was so hard, we cut that from the show. <laughs> but we had plenty of challenging questions in the show with our contestants, who did pretty well with pretty this good, game. Pretty good, yeah. And this game is called Presidential Middle Names, and it is led by none other than our one-man house band, Mr. Jonathan Colton. Let's welcome our next two contestants, Scott Sanders and Tim Kilroy. Hello. Hey. So we have two dads here that are both really into American history. All right, Tim, who is the weirdest president in your mind? Jimmy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it was weird, too, yeah. so that's good. Uh, and he why? was attacked by a rabbit. He was attacked by a rabbit? Yeah, mm, yeah that is weird. I'm going to say you're right on that one. Scott, do you have an answer for that? I'm going to go with uh, Martin Van Buren. Wow, I like the way you think. Yeah. And what's your reasoning? Oh, it's just names just weird. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Colton, what game are we going to play with these guys? Well, this, this game is called Presidential Middle Names, and uh, we are going to uh, spice up the names of U.S. presidents by expanding their middle names to include other famous people or characters. So what we're looking for is the full expanded presidential name. 
For example, if I said, this president convinced his best friend Bart Simpson to break into the Watergate Hotel, you would say, Richard Milhouse Van Houten Nixon. <laughs> so that's Richard Nixon, whose middle name is Milhouse, and then in the middle we have Milhouse Van Houten, who is Bart Simpson's best friend. It's a very easy game. Okay, here we go. After this man became the first son of a president to become president, he wrote the theme for Sanford and Son and produced Michael Jackson's thriller. Tim. John Quincy Jones Adams. That is right. After his predecessor resigned in disgrace in 1974, this vice president turned president led Santa's sleigh through the fog one Christmas Eve. <laughs> Tim. I got nothing. <laughs> you just wanted to ring in? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Do you Scott, to, uh... do you want to ring in and say that you don't have anything? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> uh, well, let me, let me give you a hint. Can you think of a president who resigned in disgrace? Nixon. Yes. Okay. Can you think of who came after that president? Ford. Uh-huh. So now what we're looking for is the first name of that president. Gerald. Okay, good, great. Yeah. We're doing it. We're doing it. And then, do you know who might have led Santa's sleigh through the fog one Christmas Eve? Rudolph oh, the Red-Nosed yeah. Reindeer. Right, okay, great, great. That's all components. Okay. Gerald, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Ford. Yes! Oh! Wow. Right, because... Both of them share the middle name yeah. Red-Nosed. Yeah. Yes. Now, see, I thought it was the. I have no idea if it's appropriate to give you a point, Tim, but I'm going to. No. Thank you. No point. A five-star general and former supreme commander of NATO, this president was obsessed with the log lady, people speaking backwards in dreams, and the question, who killed Laura Palmer? <laughs> Scott. Dwight David Lynch Eisenhower. You got it. Scouts on the board. High fives all around. That was awesome. That was awesome. This president, who campaigned under the slogan, Tippecanoe and Tyler II, beheaded two of his six wives before he died, only a month into his term. Scott. Benjamin Henry Tyler? Uh, no. Okay. Not to be rude about it, but no. No, that's cool. Tim, do you want to have a guess here? So, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> the audience, do you know who it is? William. William Henry VIII Harrison. Henry VIII Harrison. Oh. Since this president spent over 12 years in office, he had plenty of time to write the screenplays for When Harry Met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle. Scott. Franklin Delano Nora Ephron Roosevelt. <laughs> yes! And unbelievably, it is a tie score. It is a tie. <laughs> this president split his time in the Lone Star State between clearing brush on his ranch in Crawford and using martial arts to fight crime. Tim. It is George Herbert Texas Ranger Walker Bush. 
I, I feel like I feel like Tim got close, but he got he got a couple of things wrong. Scott, George Walker, Texas Ranger, Bush. That is correct. Scott, well done. We will see you again at the end of our show for our Ask Me One More final round. Coming up, we'll see if you know your QWERTY UEOP. Of course you do. We're going to play a mathematical music game, and what is a really hard addition without NPR's puzzle master, Will Shorts, and a diabolical game of his own devising. It's all coming up. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and you are listening to Ask Me Another from NPR. Thanks so much for listening to Ask Me Another, and we have a holiday treat for you. NPR's newest show called Invisibilia. We have a preview, and what Invisibilia is, is a show that looks at the invisible forces that shape human behavior. Like, did you know that people's expectations of you physically change your brain? It's from the people who created This American Life and Radiolab. So look for Invisibilia on iTunes under podcasts and subscribe and you'll be the first to hear full episodes of Invisibilia on January 9th. You're listening to Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. I'm your host, Ophira Eisenberg, and this hour we're featuring some of the most mind-bending games we have ever played. In the studio with me is our puzzle editor, Art Chung, and our next stumper is called Top Row, which unfortunately has nothing to do with Top Shelf. It has everything to do with Cordy Uyop. I don't think Cordy Uyop is a word. Uh, check your computer. Well, I'm looking at my computer, and it does stand for the letters on the top of the computer keyboard. Aha! Q-W-E-R-T-Y-U-I-O-P. Exactly. Well, in this game, top row, we asked the contestants to remember all those letters in their head. We didn't give them a computer keyboard, and they had to figure out words that could be spelled using only that row of letters. Which is more difficult than it sounds. It was a little difficult and a little sadistic. (laughs) Now, standing at attention, we have our next two contestants. We have Joe Altieri and Lorda Jordan ready for our next game. Just as a warm-up, Joe... Can you give me any four letters that appear on the top row of a keyboard? T-R-Q-U? I, that's excellent. Well really? done, yeah. Now, Lauren, I know he took four out of the mix there, but can you add a couple to that? Uh-huh. Yeah, great. Um, Good. I like your attitude. P-O? Yeah. I-N-T? Uh, yeah, more or less. Okay, yeah. I, you know what? That's, <laughs> just remember that. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, what are we going to play? Well, this game is called The Top Row because all the answers in this game can be typed using only the top row of letters on a computer keyboard. <laughs> so there are 10 all together. The 10 next to the tab key, Q-W-E-R-T-Y-U-I-O-N-P. A simple mnemonic is to remember the word QWERTUEOP. <laughs> and letters can be used more than once in the answer. Here we go. You might use your keyboard to tap out this message limited to 140 characters. Lorna. Tweet. That is right. RT and HT to Lorna. Yes. HT is hat tip. I just learned that. I love it. That's internet talk. In ballet, a twirl on your toes. Lorna. Pirouette. Yes. Yes. 
Some people call a seesaw this. Lorna. Teeter-totter. Zing, you are right. Yes. An aromatic mixture of dried plants and spices. Joe. Potpourri. Yes. <laughs> Gentlemen should always hold open doors for ladies, according to this. Joe. Etiquette. Yes. Nice. There's a gentleman right there, obviously. My chivalry has paid off. <laughs> yeah, well done. If you are one of these, you never win. Lorna. Quitter. Yes. Brits don't wait in line, they do this. Joe. Q. Yes! <laughs> Joe is getting all the polite things. He has <laughs> etiquette, he cues, you know he buys potpourri. Joe is a nice young man, that's yes. why. <laughs> Before Alaska became a U.S. state, it was a this. Lorna. Territory. Yes. All right, nice job. All right, that was close, but it turns out, Lorna, you won this round. Congratulations. You'll be moving on to our Ask Me One More final round at the end of the show. This is a song called Pie. When ink and pen in hands of men inscribe your form by petal pee, they draw an altar on which God has slaughtered all stability. No eyes could ever soak in all the places you anoint. And yet to see you all at once, we only need the point. Flirting with infinity, your geometric progeny that fit inside you oh so tight. Triangles that feel so right. 3.141592653589732384626243384197502884194945 Jonathan Colton so Jonathan Colton is our house musical genius, but he actually made a mistake in that song. And if you know what it is, email us at askmeanother at npr.org. You know what? If you're the first person to email us what he did incorrectly, we're going to give you a prize. Yeah, they deserve a prize. We're going to have Jonathan Colton come over to your house and eat pie with you. That'd be great. I don't know if he's up for it. I have no idea if he likes pie. I don't know if you like pie, but that's your prize. I don't know if that's legal. <laughs> but he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll totally do it. So we don't do a lot of math games on our show, and people ask why. And I think the reason is because numbers aren't that interesting as answers to me. You could say, oh, the answer was four, and it's like, no, the answer was 300. Right, which is, I can't even imagine what that game is. But our listeners are kind of unique because they want a math game. Right, they did. And so what we did was we asked our puzzle writers to come up with a music game that combines math with music. And as far as I'm concerned, you add Prince to anything, and it makes it amazing. Right now, let's welcome our next two contestants, Jeannie Garbarino and Diane Firstman. We have two very impressive women here, both science buffs. Uh, Jeannie, you work in health science? Yeah, I'm the director of science outreach at the Rockefeller University. 
Diane, you're a data analyst at the New York City Department of Corrections? Yes, I am. What does that even mean? We analyze population trends in correctional facilities on Rikers Island and throughout the city. Wow. This game is called Algebraic Music. Jonathan, this game sounds like it might be formulaic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is a game without equal. Oh, it's a real plus. In this game, I'm going to play songs that feature a number in the title. The catch is that I'm going to replace that number with an algebraic expression. <laughs> Jeannie just turned away from the microphone and swore under her breath. <laughs> to win the point, you'll have to solve for X to make the mathematical expression in the song correct. So we're not looking for the original number, we're looking for the value of X. For... Yeah, math is fun, everybody. For example, if I said, as Jay-Z does, um... I've got X times nine problems, you would say that X equals 11 because Jay-Z had 99 problems. And 11 times 9 equals 99. Uh, of course, I will be singing these mathematical expressions because that's sort of my thang. Are you ready or would you like to give up? Here we go. I got my first real six string Bought it at the five and dime Played it till my fingers bled was the summer of X plus five? Diane. X is 64. You got it. <laughs> summer of 69 by Brian Adams. 64 plus five equals 69. When I come home, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who comes back home to you. If I grow old, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who's growing old with you. But I would walk X times 10 miles, and I would walk X times 10 more, just to be the man who walks a thousand miles to fall down at your door. Jeannie? 500. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Diane? 50? 50, X times 10 miles. Sorry. I thought it was 5,000. I like that. The guy in your story is walking further. Yeah. <laughs> He's walking 5,000 miles. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. He's got to work at it. He might not be taking a direct route. <laughs> no. <laughs> Takes X plus four to make a thing go right. It takes X plus four to make it out of sight. Hit it! <laughs> Diane? Negative two. That's right, negative two. That's right. We're working both sides of the number line, people. <laughs> X plus four, negative two. Sky was all purple, there were people running everywhere. Trying to run from the destruction You know I didn't even care Say, say, 2000, zero, zero Party over, oops, out of time 
So tonight I'm gonna party like it's X plus 59. Jeannie. 1940. 1940, you got it. We all play the game when we dare. Cheat ourselves, it's solitaire. Venting lovers on the phone Repenting of their lives unknown They'd call and say, come dance with me And murmur vague obscenities At ugly girls like me At X plus three <laughs> Diane? Fourteen That's right, fourteen All right, this is your last clue. If I had X times $10. If I had X times $10. Well, I'd buy you a K car. A nice reliant automobile. If I had X times $10, I'd buy your love. Is that Jeannie? I think so. 100000 that's right, 100,000. John Chinesky, how'd they do? Wow, that was some complicated game, but Diane takes it away. Thank you so much, Jeannie. Well done, Diane. We'll see you at the end of the show. If your idea of playing sports is being a mathlete, then you should be on our show, or at least come see it. Send us an email at askmeanother at npr.org, or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook. We'll send you a quiz and see if you are able to leap tall fractions in a single bound. For tickets, go to amatickets.org. So far, all of these games have had answers, which I know sounds obvious, but I mean like real answers, quantifiable answers, something you Google and get the answer. But sometimes we like to stretch our puzzle writers' creative powers and get them to write a quiz with imaginary answers. That's right, Afira. By imaginary answers, we mean like puns, because who doesn't love a good pun? I love a good pun. Hey, Afira, knock, knock. Who's there? Dishes. Dishes who? Dishes, NPR. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I yeah, like that. Yeah, I don't know why they cut it from our last episode. I, well, because they were wrong. Let's see how our contestants did in this pun-based game called Imperial Pets. Joining us right now are our next two contestants, Denise Grab and Mike Sherratt. Hi. You guys are hugging. You're already pals. We are. We're besties. How do you feel about animals? Denise, any pets? Um, I don't have any Pets. Um, I think we have some spiders I've been finding around my house. I don't know if those count. Do you name them, the spiders? Um, depends on how I'm feeling that day. If I'm feeling <laughs> a little lonely, yeah. Oh. Mike, do you have any pets? I do. I have two English bulldogs. Uh, one is named Jeter, and I think it's named after a, a Met, um, <laughs> but I'm not sure. And the uh, other one is Jahira. Took her from a very bad uh, family and put her into a great family, and that family also accepted me into it. And so <laughs> both of us are doing very well, thank you very much. Oh, good. 
This game is called Imperial Pets. When it comes to pets, it's hard not to treat them like little furry versions of yourself. Just ask Katy Perry, who fondly named her cat Kitty Purry. <laughs> that is true. So in this game, we're going to ask you to create adorable pet versions of historical world leaders, which will be an animal-based pun on the world leader's name. So puzzle guru John Chinesky, can you please give us an example? Sure. If we said, this fickle feline brought communism to China and was its most fearsome leader until he passed away in 1976, you would say, Chairman Miao. <laughs> Ring in when you know the answer, and the winner will move on to our Ask Me One More final round at the end of the show. Reviled by his cousin Mickey during World War II, this right-wing rodent made the trains run on time in Italy. World leader? Yeah. Denise? Benito Mussolini. That is great. Well done. <laughs> Feeling pretty good about yourself right now? That was pretty great, right? To get that? I saw you look up to the heavens. The heavens gave you the answer, and then you delivered. After he succeeded Boris Yeltsin as Russia's top dog in 1999, he's enjoying hunting without a shirt. Luckily, the poofy haircut on his head, ankles, and buttocks keep him warm. Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Do you want to give me that again, Mike? Putin. <laughs> you know what? We'll take it. Vladimir Putin, sure. When he was dictator of Cambodia, this brutal parrot kept saying he wanted crackers for the Khmer Rouge all the time. Denise. Polypot. Polypot. That is right. It's getting easier on you guys. It's getting easier. <laughs> Always yelping about her godly visions, this poor puppy was burned at the stake by the French, or the Frenchies, after she led them to victory over the English. Mike. Who is Joan of... Bark. Joan of Bark, that is correct. We do want to remind you, you are not on Jeopardy. Yeah, you don't have to start with the news. Thank you. Yeah. A lot more is at stake here, just remember that. This tough-talking aquatic pet almost didn't become the first female Prime Minister of Israel after she was caught canoodling with a scuba diver in her bowl. Denise. Goldfish my ear. Goldfish my ear is correct. Also, her actual nickname. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> this is your final question. Despite a devotion to Buddhist principles of peace, this spiritual ruler of Tibet is known to spit like a camel. Denise. That was Denise. Dalai Lama? Dalai Lama, that's right. John Chinesky. Well, that was a great game, but the best in show, at least for this game, is Denise. Nice work. Congratulations, Denise. Thank you so much, Mike. Next, we'll revisit an insanely hard game about quirky chess grandmasters. We'll talk to the grand puzzle master himself, Will Shorts, plus his Ask Me One More Final Game, which will either be easy or impossible, depending on how your brain works. This is Ask Me Another from NPR and WNYC.
You're listening to NPR and WNYC's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. Ask me another. I'm your host, Ophira Eisenberg, and joining me for our really hard edition is our puzzle editor, Art Chung. One of your jobs as our puzzle editor, Art Chung, is when we have our VIPs on, our very important puzzlers, you have to devise a game that is tailored just for them. That's right. So what are some of the things that you think about when creating these games? Well, sometimes we ask them if they have some quirky interest or hobby that's obscure that you know we didn't know about, like they love fly fishing. Right. Uh, <laughs> and that worked out really well. Dan Kennedy, everybody. Of the many things you gave us to base your quiz on, we were most intrigued by your claim to know about salmon and freshwater bass and the terrestrial and aquatic insects that trout eat to survive. So we tried to write a quiz, of course, that made freshwater bass and trout interesting. Turns out that is impossible. <laughs> we couldn't do it. So your quiz is titled Questions Not Really About Fish. Yes. Yes. Sometimes they have a very specific profession, and we can write a really difficult quiz that they can answer, but no one else can. So it's, it's basically a one-person game. They are the only person on Earth who can do this puzzle. <laughs> For example, when we had chess grandmaster Maurice Ashley on the show, we asked him about very obscure chess masters from the 1900s. Yes, which we also found out uh, they all are insane. I wouldn't say insane. They all have, were a little uh, focused. You're very nice. Puzzle <laughs> editors are very nice that way. In this next game, too, is our guest musician, Julian Villard. Hello, Julian. Hello, Fira. I like this guy. Maurice? Yeah, I want, I want, I want to take no, him. No, he's cool. He's cool. So let's take him down. He's a killer. I like you too, man. That's all right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Leave for after. Let's listen. Now, Maurice, chess players are often seen as these incredible geniuses with the processing power of a computer and the creativity of an artist. But they're only human, right? Many stories of the greatest chess players in history revolve around their more human quirks. So in this game, we're going to explore the lighter side of chess history. Today, you're going to be playing for Christopher Vihan from Phoenix, Arizona. So here's how it works. If you get three questions right... You and Christopher win a prize. Cool. All right. Let's see how you do. How many questions do I get? 19. 19? No, Good. no, no. Whew, I needed that. Good. Three. <laughs> what kind of game? Let's see what goes on here. All right. Emmanuel Lasker. Do you know him? We've played once or twice. Okay, so he's not only a chess champion, but a world-class bridge player and mathematician who was good friends with Albert Einstein. But he wasn't an Einstein at everything. At one point, he became interested in breeding championship pigeons for the Berlin Poultry Show. After months of failing to get his pigeons to mate, he realized his fairly obvious mistake. What happened, Maurice? He was breeding roosters? I think that's a good idea that he didn't even know they were pigeons. <laughs> Emmanuel, La by the way, I didn't play him once. No, or twice I know, obviously, if he was friends with Einstein. For over yeah. 60 years. Yeah, he, uh, but, he bought a bunch of. Uh, no, he definitely he was sure they were pigeons. Uh, and he bought all these pigeons. He clearly didn't check one important thing. And then he put them all together and he was like, um, oh, they're going to breed. And something happened. Well, like I said, the roosters thing, they were probably the same gender. You are correct. They were all male. Exactly. I see what you're doing there. That was very smart. 
Written in the 1980s during the height of the Cold War, the musical Chess features a bad boy American, a defecting Russian, a love triangle, and spies. Same plot as White Knights, by the way. In the musical's most famous song, the main character extols the seedy virtues of the Asian city hosting the World Chess Championship. Julian, let's have a little of that song. Something, something, and the world's your oyster. The bars are temples, but the pearls ain't free. You'll find a god in every golden cloister. And if you're lucky, then the gods are she. I can feel an angel sliding up to me. I should know this song. Maurice, do you know this song? <laughs> I know the song, except I don't know the city. Okay. But I want to say, no, I want to say Bangkok? Yes! You want to say right, One Night in Bangkok. The best song from that musical. Yeah, you know, no chess player went to see that musical. <laughs> what do you mean, no chess players went to see the musical Chess? It was a hit. One of the greatest champions of the 1920s and 30s, this grandmaster was born in Riga, then part of the Russian Empire. He was known for his many eccentricities, including wearing bedclothes to tournaments and insisting in restaurants that he was intentionally being served portions that were smaller than everybody else's. <laughs> the answer is not my dad. <laughs> Who was he? The first answer that popped in my head, but I can't believe you guys would choose this guy, but I'm just going to say it goes to the first one. I have another answer. I'm trying to pick between two. Okay. So I'm going to say Bogulyabov. Okay. And, and I really meant to say... Well, what was the other one you were thinking? Nimzovich. Ah, Nimzovich is correct. Right. Nailed it. <laughs> At a 1925 tournament, Aaron Nimzovich found himself losing a match to Frederick Samish. Incensed, he stood up on the table and shouted what phrase that I'm sure you have thought to yourself from time to time. I have no idea. I resign. I don't you know. resign on that one? I, you know what? I'm not sure, but I would love to do this. Anyone out there? Cheater. Wrong. <laughs> All right, cheater. I like that. There's I'd be really upset if somebody else got the answer in order. Uh, he said, just why must I lose to this idiot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, that's, I've heard that many has, times. Has ever, that ever rolled through no, your head at all? Just, it ain't just Nimzovich. I, I've heard that many times. <laughs> <laughs> With the exception of why must I lose to this idiot, which I know you're just too nice to ever think. You got them all right. So I'm going to practice that one, though. <laughs> so not only do you get a prize, but also Christopher Vihan, congratulations. You have won. You've both won Ask Me Another Rubik's Cubes, your very own to have. Well done. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Maurice Thank Ashley. You. Julian, what are you going to play for us? I'm going to play a song that I think what's what Maurice is going to do after, after this game. He's going to take the money and run. Take his, take his Rubik's Cube and run. That's the name of the song. I didn't used to be this way. I was a good kid back in the day. It's safe to say that things have changed. Yeah, I remember when I brushed my teeth every night. I held my pretty little girlfriend tight. I never let the bed bugs bite. But that was so long ago 
And now I've lived long enough to know You take the money and run Don't wait till the deal is done Well, I'm telling you, son Take the money and run Step out the back, shoot like a bullet from a gun Boy, don't be dumb You take the m -m 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 money and run Ballards. Thank you. Are you the one writing us emails about how easy our games are? Well, then we want to meet you. To be a contestant on a future show, reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook at NPR Ask Me Another or send us an old-fashioned email at askmeanother at npr.org. In exchange, we'll send you a little quiz and see if you've got what it takes to make it to our Ask Me One More final round. to legitimizing yourself as a public radio quiz show, well, th there's only really one way to do that, and that is to get the New York Times crossword editor and NPR's puzzle master, Will Shorts, on your show. Welcome to Ask Me Another. Thank you, Ophira. So, Will, you've been described by your fans as the nation's master of linguistic play. And I've been told that you have this degree in enigmatology. That's right. Uh, which is a made-up degree, and I think it's your way of saying that you skipped classes and wrote puzzles in your dorm room for four years. Is that correct? I, I have a degree in enigmatology, yeah, the study of puzzles. But you actually have a framed diploma that says this. Uh, yes, I do, yeah. A, uh, my thesis was on the history of American word puzzles before 1860. Oh, and, just, uh, just that one puzzle that you had to write about? <laughs> Actually, I found puzzles go all the way back in the United States to 1647 in one of the earliest publications in the colonies. And this was in uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And even in a culture like that, puzzles uh, struck a, a chord in humans. It was so important to them that they were making puzzles that far back. Wow, that's amazing. So you are carrying on the tradition of striking chords in people as they have you in their paper every day. Right. And you, ha you make... Why? Do you make Saturday the hardest? Why, Why is Saturday the hardest? Monday is a hard day. Just do it on Monday. Saturday, people uh -huh. want to relax, feel good about themselves. I don't know about your weekends, but, uh, you know, maybe you've been partying too much, and uh, your mind's a little mushy, and, you know, it's kind of nice to ease into the week with an easy puzzle. Oh. And as the week goes on, then the difficulty increases. Saturday is a day you... Most people don't have to go to work, so you have a little extra time. It's a, uh, one of my predecessors, Margaret Farrer, called it a two cups of coffee puzzle. <laughs> That's why Saturday is hard. It's a two cups. I like that. And yeah. when you're writing these and editing the puzzles, do you have a specific audience in mind? Do you think of an age group or someone sharing a certain kind of cultural references? Level yeah, of actually, I'm trying to edit for everybody. So it's a very diverse audience. You know, things that an 18-year-old knows is different from what a 40-year-old knows, which is different from what a 70-year-old knows. So I had to try to put everything in the puzzle and hope that uh, part of it is just for you. Is there one clue or answer recently that you were particularly proud of that you're like, ha-ha? Yeah, what a, I, I, I think, picture you I doing that, that all the time, time by the way. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, the one that jumps to mind, and it's an oldie, the answer was Spiral Staircase. My clue was, it may turn into a different story. That is pretty amazing. I'm going to give it to you. That is, yeah, check mark says Ophira Eisenberg. Now, in addition to all the puzzles and ken-ken and crosswords, you also are a huge table tennis nut, right? And you just opened up a ping-pong parlor in Pleasantville. Oh, I was dying to say that. <laughs> you love alliteration. Yeah, I live in uh, Westchester County, New York, just uh, north of New York City. I've opened the Westchester Table Tennis Center. It is the largest table tennis facility in the country. We've got players from China, Europe, the Caribbean, all across the United States. And uh, I have played over 100 consecutive days now. Since I... Uh, So when you're playing, do you feel like, you know, because you have patrons there, obviously, that are coming and paying I, to right, play right, ping pong, yeah. do you sometimes have to let them win and stuff like that to make I sure that... I never they're... let anyone win. <laughs> so when we asked Will back on the show to be our puzzle guru, he said he'd only do it if he could write the Ask Me One More final round game. And he wrote one of the most challenging ones because what did he write about? Anagrams. That's right. Anagrams, if you don't know, are when you take one word and change all the letters to make another word, like nudity and untidy. I, my brain does not think this way. I can't do it. A lot of people's brains don't. But some people can really move the letters around in their head and form these new words. And the real tricky thing about this game is that uh, we don't give them pen and paper. They're doing it all on stage, in their heads, in real time. And that's why we call it diabolical, or my name isn't her right begonious. This final round is called Five by Five. I'm going to give you two five-letter words. Your challenge is to rearrange the letters of the first word to get a synonym of the other. For example, if I gave you strut, S-T-R-U-T, and faith, you would say trust, which is an anagram of strut and is a synonym of faith. Now we're gonna play this spelling bee style. So one wrong answer and you're out. You'll have only a few seconds to give us an answer. Last person standing is our grand winner. Remember, rearrange the letters of the first word to get a synonym of the second one. Here we go, Kurt, you're up. Binge, B-I-N-G-E, to mean start. Begin. Begin is correct. <laughs> Sam. Fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to mean short. F-I-B-E-R, to mean short. Okay, time's up. Thank you, Sam. Cassidy, do you know fiber? to mean short? No. Okay, sorry, Cassidy. Oh, David is in the hot spot. Fiber, that means short. Brief. Brief is it, yes. We're down to three contestants. Brian, trams, T-R-A-M-S, to mean sting. Smart. Smart is it, yes. Uh, Kurt. Lamed, L-A-M-E-D, to mean award. Medal. The medal is it. And uh, David, U-boat, U-B-O-A-T, to mean circa. Uh, about. about. About is it, yes. Okay, well, you guys are so good, we're going to make things a little more challenging. <laughs> Now I'm not going to tell you which word is the anagram and which is the synonym. That's for you to figure out. 
Brian, this is your first one of these. Scope, S-C-O-P-E, and anger, A-N-G-E-R. Scope and anger. Gear? G, oh, sorry. Uh. Scope and anger. No, I don't hear the answer. Okay. Kurt, scope and anger. Range. Range is it. Okay. So we're down to two contestants. David, your clues are cruel, C-R-U-E-L, and money, M-O-N-E-Y. Uh, uh, okay, ready? C-R-U. I think this time is up. Lero. Yeah. Kurt, do you know cruel and money? Luker. Luker, our champion. You are our Ask Me Another big winner. Now that was a final round. Will Shorts, everybody. Well, we've run out of really hard games. No, that's not true. But that's all the time we have for our really hard edition. I hope you enjoyed your workout. You can join us for a game anytime, anyplace by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Our house musician was Jonathan Colton. Hey, his name anagrams to Thou Dolt a Cannon. With special guest Julian Villard. Naive Duljar. Our puzzle gurus were John Chinesky. Oh heck, ninjas. And Will Shorts. Wizstroll. Our puzzle editor is Art Chung. Narc Thug. With additional puzzle writing by Kyle Beakley, Karen Lurie, Adam Markowitz, Dan Schofield, and Noah Tarno. Ask Me Another is produced by Jesse Baker. Jab Seekers. Josh Rogerson. Rhinos Jogso. John Asante. Hat. No Jeans. And Eleanor Kagan. A granola Along with Portia Robertson-Migas and Eric Newsom. We are recorded by Paul Ruess, Noriko Okabe, and David Hurtkin. We'd like to thank our home in Brooklyn, New York, The Bell House. Hot Heel Blues. And our production partner, WNYC. I'm Harripe Begonias. Ophira Eisenberg. And this was Ask Me Another from NPR. Next time on NPR's Ask Me Another, comedian Lewis Black talks about his early years figuring out how to deliver a rant. My friend Kathleen Madigan, another comic, said, she said, do you realize that uh, for eight minutes the audience isn't laughing? They're scared to death. Join me, Ophira Eisenberg, for NPR's guiltiest and most puzzling pleasure, Ask Me Another. Rant on. Hey, you're still here. Just wanted to remind you to check out NPR's newest show, Invisibilia. It's a show that talks about the invisible forces that shape human behavior, like people's expectations physically change your brain. How does that happen? Find out by listening to this great new show brought to you by the people behind This American Life and Radiolab. So look out for Invisibilia on iTunes under podcasts and subscribe and you'll be the first to hear full episodes of Invisibilia starting on January 9th.